0: It is Friday and we are working for Crusoe, Sam Park and John Ramey with you on Friday, December 8th, 2023. On this beautiful Friday, we will talk about the November Jobs Report and also the Consumer Inflation Report from the University of Michigan. Uh, Job growth strong, unemployment declining and consumers bullish about inflation uh, receding. UN Climate Change Conference COP28 enters week two in Dubai. That one is fraught with real or imagined concerns that it's really just a fossil fuel conference and retreat. And then finally, we will look at the history of Israeli settlement in the West Bank and how that fits into the context of the current uh, war with Hamas. Sam Park, let us begin with jobs report. Non-farm jobs added in the month of November to the United States labor force. 199,000 unemployment rate down from 3.9%, that's 3.7%. There is a note from uh, the egg brains that because strikes like the auto strike ended, right, kind of like taking your hand off a garden hose, right, the job growth may be slightly inflated. And yes, but that's—I
1: mean—that's certainly true. But that means that job losses were slightly inflated by the, the strike, the, the UAW walking off the lines, right now. Right. But that just—that's an illustration of how they count jobs, right? Uh, for instance, it's true the the—I think it's three thousand or so UAW uh, members that walked off the lines. Yet yeah, those actually aren't new jobs. Right. But they are jobs that were added to the total. But by the same token, they weren't really lost jobs either a few months ago when the UAW came off the line. So it's sort of a wash. Uh, And so I can't really get too excited about that. But it seems as though hopes of what they call a soft landing are certainly being buoyed by this report amongst other economic data that has come out recently. And uh, we'll see, for instance, 199,000 jobs in the aggregate. That's not super strong growth, but it's just a steady, moderate pace of adding jobs to the economy. And that's, if you're part of the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee, that's pretty much what you want to see. So, I think they can be of good cheer, we might say.
0: Uh, Tis the season.
1: Yes. Uh, and But we'll find out more about that next week because the Open Market Committee will meet next Wednesday uh, to announce their uh, decision on how these factors will affect interest rate policy going forward. So stay tuned. We'll get back to this next week. It's not, I mean, it doesn't seem like something to me anyway that, We need to go into great detail about right now, unless, John, there's something about it that you find remarkable and would like to discuss.
0: Nope. I just want to um, touch on two other data points, and then we'll get to the consumer inflation report from the University of Michigan, uh, which is fascinating. So uh, the Labor Department and the jobs report says wages increased at four-tenths of a percent in November, right? So a little bit of wage increase. And the annual inflation rate has recently fallen to 3%, and that's half of what it was when the Fed's interest rate uh, ratcheting up began, right? And the wage growth ratio to inflation now seems to be somewhat in line with what the Fed would want. So let's let's move on to the consumer inflation consumer sentiment survey from the University of Michigan which apparently is the fed's favorite or among their favorite consumer sentiment reports. Yes. Is it it can't be because the fed is big college football fan. Sorry Sam, had to get that in there.
1: Did you go? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. So they that comes out today, this is a brand new report, hot out of the oven. Uh the one year outlook for the inflation rate slid to 3.1. That's down from 4.5% last month and the lowest one-year outlook for inflation rate since March 2021. Now, right away when I read that, I had to go back to the start of the article, which is on CNBC. And I had to reread that this is a consumer sentiment survey. Sam, you and I are both consumers. Have you ever had an outlook for the next year about inflation? I haven't
1: no and like, I you know, it's I like an alien
0: in. writes this the the i understand what the survey is saying but how do they get this data no regular person consumer thinks like this or talks like this
1: well maybe some do i guess uh but for instance may, perhaps they ask about individual prices right do you do you think a car will be more expensive next year and if so by how much? Okay. Right. And sort of tease these things out. I don't know. Honestly, I've never taken part in the University of Michigan survey, but you're right, it does seem a little odd. No, but I guess
0: when you contextualize it like will would you be more would you think more about buying a car in the next year or a big ticket item, as they say.
1: Yeah, I would um, imagine that's how they do this. I don't think they said, "What do you expect the the percentage increase in prices right. a, across the aggregate of the economy is going to be?" I hope they don't do that. <laughs> that it sounds like a survey
0: that you know younger people would just send straight to voicemail, right? Um, the now this is interesting. So again, the Michigan Inflation Survey is consumer sentiment, and the CNBC piece says something that I think is fairly obvious. Inflation sentiment is tied closely to the direct to the direction of energy costs and gas prices in particular. A price of unleaded gasoline has fallen 22 cents in the last month, according to AAA. Now that is a, an indicator that is not used in how the actual uh, rate of inflation is calculated.
1: That's right, and I think that's an astute methodology on the part of the fine folks. At the University of Michigan. Because, because as-
0: consumers understand inflation as like gas prices and a price. Of, what is it? Uh, energy cost and food cost?
1: Yes. Those are factored out of what they call core inflation. As we And those discuss. are the things.
0: Yeah. And those are the things that regular people would understand day to day as inflation impacting them.
1: Of course. You know, these are the most, especially gas prices, because you see enormous signs for them everywhere you go. Uh, these are the the prices that tend to stick in people's minds, which I don't think should surprise anybody. And it helps that gas prices have been falling steadily, not br- really dramatically, but they have been falling steadily for, I would say, a couple months now or thereabouts. I will point
0: out in the swing state of Nevada, where I spend a considerable amount of time, professionally and personally, gas prices gas prices now much more closely reflect the price in california than they used to well that's interesting it is interesting and i wonder how much and i don't have data on this i just wonder how much that has occurred in other areas right uh nevada used to have much lower gas prices than california right orders of a dollar or more uh, right when you would cross the border and and that hasn't really been the case in this latest uh inflation cycle with uh gas prices in particular anecdotally from me again no data so you wonder if although gas prices are falling where are people perceiving them to be falling and where are they not perceiving them to be falling and not a political podcast but Nevada a politically relevant state for 2024 just tuck that in the back of your head
1: certainly i wonder though if there's been any uh variation in Fuel tax policy. No, no, we don't do Nevada.
0: taxes in Nevada, Sam. There's no tax in Nevada whatsoever.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> obviously not true. Right. Every state I has- don't,
0: I have not heard and I have not rigorously researched, but I don't believe there's been a fuel tax policy change recently.
1: Okay. But that's one of the main reasons why sure. gas costs much more in California than it does in other states. So that it, it's just the most obvious question I would ask in relation to your proposition. That's
0: right. It. Again, purely anecdotal, but I, I do think it's of interest because you know gas prices do not rise and fall uniformly. There's a geographic component to it. And as you mentioned, there's a policy component to it.
1: That's right. What else should
0: we know about the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey?
1: Well, in specifically, maybe not much. In general though, Consumer sentiment and especially consumer expectations of inflation influence inflationary outcomes, as we've discussed before. And that to me is the most relevant aspect of this particular report that came out today. What well, is not just that consumer expectations of future inflation have fallen, but they've fallen considerably. The, from, I believe, what was it, 4.1 last yes. month to 3.5? I mean, that's a significant decline.
0: No, it was 4.5 last month, and now it's 3.1 this month. It's oh, even okay. bigger so, than you just articulated. It,
1: but considerably. Yeah. So that, you know, that, to me, I think, is the most promising news on inflation we've seen in quite some time. Because if you expect prices to be higher in the future... You will buy more stuff now, is what economists would say in more artful language than I've just used, because you know if, if it's non-perishable items, you'll just stock up because you think you're going to pay more. And, so, and that adds to inflation. The, the more goods you consume, the higher inflation goes. So inflationary expectations feed inflation itself so if those if those expectations in fact decline that will contribute considerably to actual inflationary declines going forward and i think that's great news for everybody
0: shall we pivot to cop 28 sure okay again it's not even called cop officially and it's not 2028 it is a very counterintuitively named Climate summit that began in 1992 uh, it is the un climate change summit and yes. this is the 28th one that's correct okay sam i have to tell you we might have started this podcast last year after the conclusion of the last cop I or maybe that's
1: correct yes
0: which was in uh sharm al-sheikh i believe uh this year it's in dubai so this is my first deep dive as a journalist on the United Nations Climate Summit, uh, Climate Change Summit. Uh, it is very, very, very difficult to find reporting, or at least challenging to find reporting about what they're actually doing, because the majority of the reporting is, this is a giant fossil fuel executive retreat and lobbyist hangout. And in fact, it's in Dubai and the president of this iteration of the summit is Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber, who is also the head of the Abu Dhabi national oil company.
1: Correct. Okay. Ad as it's called. Yeah. Ad-nock for
0: all you, uh, you know, uh, fossil fuel insiders in there. Okay. Or
1: Beastie Boys fans.
0: Oh, fair enough. Right. Very good. Okay. Uh, No less a uh, climate authority than Al Gore has said oil firms have, quote, captured the COP process and overreached by naming Sultan al Jaber as the chairman. Reporting from The Guardian says at least 2,456 fossil fuel lobbyists have been granted access to the COP28 climate negotiations. Some very good reporting uh, in The Guardian. And I want to cite this reporter. Nina Lacani, has done a series of reports on this. Lobbyists vying to push the interests of oil and gas companies such as Shell, ExxonMobil, outnumber every country delegation apart from Brazil. Right? And Brazil is uh, the host country for COP30. So... Sam, when we talk about COP28, like I had shockingly naive altruistic expectations that these were the greatest minds in diplomacy and they're getting together to make sure that they stop uh, global warming before it hits 3 degrees Celsius, which is, you know, when we tip over the edge of insanity. And it's the opposite of that. Or at least on paper it is. I, it certainly looks
1: of, that way, yes.
0: I mean, am I is this not the big story
1: here? I I mean, many people believe that it is the big story here. And I don't mean to say that they're wrong by a long shot. Sure. It's not the only story. The problem is that this is the only mechanism we have for trying to address this. And John, as you know very well, I think climate change is easily the most important issue Facing the world today, it's the greatest danger to, to the most people. Yes, that I think we're we're facing at the moment, and all these other things that we talk about, I think, generally pale in comparison. And by the way, climate change and environmental issues more broadly touch on every aspect of all of these. For instance, in inflate in our discussion of inflation just now, we had to talk about gasoline. Prices, Just like we always will every time we have to discuss inflation. If there comes a day when we're discussing inflation without talking about gas prices, that's going to be a good day. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And again, unfortunately, this is the only multinational forum that exists where the world can get together to address these issues. And this has always been a problem, frankly, throughout the entire history of the COP summits, is that environmentalists have for years been saying, this is just a sham. The fact is, though, that this is where targets are set. For instance, and John, I gave you a clear shot at this. You didn't do it. I respect that in a certain way. But we are right now in halftime of the COP28 summit. It's two weeks. Yeah, they took yesterday off, uh, you know, just (laughs) so that people could kind of, there was no concert, unfortunately, Uh, but they seem to be hung up right now about whether the summit ending statement should call for phasing out fossil fuel use or phasing down fossil fuel use. Ah, I have a relevant quote. From the president of COP28,
0: the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company Sultan Ahmed Al Jaber, he said there is quote no science to suggest that phasing out fossil fuels uh, is required to limit global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. Wow!
1: Yeah, that that is wow.
0: He then later said he had been quote misinterpreted. I mean, man.
1: Well, I don't think he was misinterpreted at all. But As you I, see
0: my cynicism if the of, of president course.
1: of the summit is saying that. Now, we're going to have to wait until next week's episode right. to find out whether which one of these options they chose. In fact, sometimes COP summits go into overtime. So it's possible that <laughs> at this point of next week, we still won't know what language they've chosen. I'm guessing they're going to go with phasing down. For instance, the silence from the United States delegation on this particular issue has Defening. been deafening. Uh, and I don't think that John Kerry is going to side with the phasing out crowd. Perhaps he will surprise me. We'll see. But loathe as I am, to defend Sultan Al Jaber. Yes, he's the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. Abu Dhabi is the a capital. Petro state. It's a petro state, but it's the yeah. capital of the, of the United Arab Emirates, by the right. way. And however, he was also one of the founders of a, con- a company called Mazdar, which is today the I believe, the second largest renewable energy firm on Earth. Hmm. That was, by the way, in 2006 when this firm was founded partly by Sultan al Jaber. So I'm not saying he's my favorite person or anything like this, but he has also been instrumental in helping push renewable energy along with money by the way i'm not just talking and so this is something that i think we m- need to make sure we enter into our analysis when we're talking about things like this
0: i would be much more excited to do so if he refrained from saying things like there's no science to suggest phasing out fossil fuels might help reach global warming targets but i, I do i do see your point he it's not like he lacks
1: credentials exactly and And to be fair, also, for instance, there are said to be 70,000 people attending COP28 right now. Yeah, I saw that number. That's a lot of people. And so any place that you're going to put on the COP summit, it's got to be a place that has the facilities to host it. The, The several conference venues, I would think of a considerable size. The hotels, things like this, right? You sure. 70,000 people is a lot to bring into your country. So it has to be a country that's of some wealth. And as we know, countries of some wealth tend to either consume or in fact produce large amounts of energy. And so any place that's going to host the COP Summit is going to be problematic on some level. Having said that, however... The United Arab Emirates, yeah, it, uh, it's kind of a bad look. That's all right. I mean, it just you, there must have been some other place that it, it just seems uh, kind of outlandish, frankly.
0: The the environmental editor of the uh, Times of London, Sunday Times, said that uh, the cop has been held in Petra states before. It was in uh, Qatar eleven years ago. It was even in a Polish coal mining town five years ago. But this is the first time it's been chaired by the head of a state oil and gas company.
1: So. Yes, and there's been. Accusations flying around that adnoc is using the summit as a forum for making future pe- uh, petrochemical right. deals, and and Sultan Al Jaber strenuously denied this. Of course. Now, and I, think I mean, it's it is it's farcical. Well, yes, and it's. It, I think he's being a bit too cute, frankly, right? Because. I mean, why do you go to an international summit if you don't think you're going to make deals? Right, right? you might not even make them there. And I think that's really the the kind of uh, cutting it too fine process that the, that the Mr. Al Jaber is engaging in right now. Maybe the the deal won't be made today, or even by the end of next week. You go to you maybe you meet some people and you can get something going. Right, there could be deals signed that mm-hmm. were started now and won't actually be signed until next month, next year even, right? So, uh, again, this is going to be a problem every time there's one of these summits. And it just it seems like it's a special, especially urgent problem, partly because there's been so many catastrophic climate events this year. I think that is another factor that enters into this analysis is that everybody can see it every day. And like I say, it touches everything. And so the urgency of the issue is greater today or perceived to be greater today to an extent that this assignment of the Emirates as the venue for this year's COP Summit just feels a little bit inappropriate. But on a broader level, the whole sort of international architecture in which this takes place, there's there's an assumption that incumbents have to play a role in addressing this problem because without them, it won't be solved. And that's kind of hard cheese to eat, but I think it's probably true. Uh, And it's distasteful. But if we can't get petroleum companies and petroleum producing countries to agree to these things, then what hope is there to actually solve the problem? Again, people don't like to hear things like this. But I think that it's something that we at least need to think about. Uh, it, It might be an overstated case, I'm willing to entertain that idea. But it's not one that I think we can dismiss
0: uh, One more um, note of cynicism, uh, lest you think it's just the oil producers who are getting in on the COP action. Uh, again, Nina Lacani from The Guardian also has reported that uh, COP28 organizers granted attendance to at least 475 lobbyists working on carbon capture and storage and other unproven technologies that climate scientists say won't really help. So, you know, both sides, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, yeah, they are <laughs> sort of burning the candle at both ends Sure.
0: and everybody wants to be a first mover in this market. I mean, I know you tried to melt my cynicism with the wonderful sporting mm-hmm. analogies, uh, but or the uh, uh, metaphors, but yeah, everybody wants to be the first mover in the green breakthrough. Right. And, and it's not because they love the ecosystem.
1: Well, the thing is, and relating to what I was just talking about a, a minute ago, there needs to be some sort of incentives, right? right? If you can't allow people to make money off this, then or to, let, let's flip that around. If you do allow people to make money off it, you it can will get be solved faster, done. right? Uh, and again, I don't think we can afford to dismiss that attitude. I agree with you. Carbon capture and storage, I think, is a sham. Right. Well, it's not me
0: saying that. It's the it's the experts and the reports. no. I understand. Right.
1: Right. Uh,
0: and I mean, trees are good at that, but sure. there's been no other technology developed besides a rainforest that seems to be very good no, at there,
1: it. No, there. I think there is one CCS facility operating in the world today, but it's it's incredibly different. And by the way, it consumes a lot of energy to run it. Right.
0: So you hope that's uh, hydropower, but it might not be.
1: No, it might not be. <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, the goal they're looking for is uh, a target of um, under three degrees centigrade. And former French Prime Minister Minister and uh, COP21 President Laurent Fabius says they're off track for the one and a half degrees of warming target as agreed in the Paris Agreement. And um, he said that they're going to hit. They, we will hit three degrees Celsius centigrade. uh, if we don't act now and that's going to be very bad.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's another huge problem with the cop summits is that they set all these targets, which are never met. It's interesting I haven't heard a lot in during this summit about sort of reparations, right? You know, the the monies to be paid by the nations that have burned all the carbon to the ones that are going to be the victims of this. That seems to have been sort of shunted to the side, but again, we've still got a week to go, so we'll see what happens next week.
0: We wanted to talk about Israeli settlement in the West Bank and how that fits into the Hamas war currently. There is no way we could do this in one episode, let alone one segment, honestly, let alone a series of podcasts. You could have a career in scholarship on the subject. Many people do. The Six-Day War of 1967 resulted in Israel... Taking control of the West Bank and Transjordan ceased to be Transjordan because it did not trans the Jordan River anymore. So the East Bank is the state of Jordan and the West Bank is now generally regarded by the international community as an occupied territory. Yes.
1: As is Gaza, by the way.
0: Right. So Gaza in the south, down by Egypt, also an occupied territory. So I was just trying to get the numbers on this, Sam. And it's layer upon layer upon layer. There are 3 million people in the West Bank. The majority, like 70 plus percent, are Palestinians. If you include East Jerusalem, which is a city, and then the settlements of Israelis into the West Bank, it's like 800 more than 800,000 Israelis
1: and expanding all the time.
0: Right. Now you can find you can cherry pick dips in growth of settlement. But it's like inflation, it's not stopped, it's just slowed down how much it's expanding.
1: That's right. Falling inflation doesn't mean falling prices. In
0: 1967, council for the prime minister of Israel told the prime minister, this is probably illegal, settling this territory. And that was ignored. Yes. The, 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 there was somebody on the inside of the Israeli government that said, this is against international law. It's a manifest destiny. I know we you prefer that I don't use American analogies, right? Because our history is very different. But that's the first thing I think of when I try to understand, because I've never been there. What this is now, as you point out, this is on a much more compacted scale, right? Nothing the size of Kansas is involved here, let alone the American West. But you have a population of millions and you have a settler or
1: a colonial population and you have the competing narratives. As you say, we're not going to be able to come anywhere near fully addressing this issue today or you know, perhaps Ever. in our lifetimes. Just a few facts that I would point out. One is that even before October 7th, this was the deadliest year for Palestinians in the West Bank in recorded history. Uh, and the violence that was perpetrated against them was mainly done at the hands of extremist settlers.
0: Not These- law enforcement or Israeli military. This is no. rogue, vigilante Rednecks, That's for lack right. of a better and term,
1: these settlers have backing inside the Israeli government. High-level ministers such as Betelhos Motrich and Itamar Ben uh back them to the hilt.
0: Sam, and, it's like the only good Indian's a dead Indian. It's that there, kind there, of it's that are, kind of mentality,
1: and the, not just the mentality, but the rhetoric they they actually say things like this. They some of these people have called for. Out and out population transfer to where they don't ever right. actually say, but they. Want the to.
0: irony, the irony of that coming from a Jewish state, right?
1: Yes, I would agree with that. Population
0: the, transfer, that's the, terrible.
1: I don't know what else to say about this, honestly. But is it much, anti-Semitic if we point this out? I no, I wouldn't say so at all. I always but have to check. Just as we said last week, I don't know what there will be left of Gaza to govern on the day after, as people seem to keep talking about. Even before October 7th, the amount of land and the contiguity of that land inside the West Bank might already be too small for the that land mass to form the basis of any future Palestinian state, as people seem to think it still can be. I'm not saying it can't. I don't know enough to say that. But it makes me apprehensive. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, all three of these issues, as, we, as we've discussed, there will be the Fed meeting next week, and there will be obviously more developments in the Middle East next week and cop 28 will probably wind up next week so this is basically a two-part episode yes it is. our regular listeners can look forward to tuning in next week to hear the conclusion of at least some of this although certainly not all
0: yeah i do want to go deeper into the history of the settlement we got going too long on our cynicism of cop 28 but i thought that was important too
1: yes it is and i'm sure other things will pop up but uh for now that'll seem to keep us covered for next week, at least in the time being.
0: Any comments, questions? Of course, you can drop your comments on our YouTube page, uh, which is John Ramey Media. You can also send an email if you want to have any suggestions, any questions, whatever. JohnRameyMedia at gmail.com. He is Sam Park. I am John Ramey. This has been Working for Crusoe. Have a great weekend, everybody.
1: Happy holidays.